All right, good evening. Good to see you guys here this evening. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 7, uh, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. We're about halfway through our study of this book, and I've really enjoyed it. And I'll go ahead and say this at the outset. Uh, I almost lost my voice this morning, and then after church I was losing it again. It was, it was, it was gone. And Steph looked at me and she said, you can't talk all evening. <laughs> And she made me be quiet the entire evening, and I think that was the best evening she's had in a very long time. Uh, she would look at me, and I'd try to talk, she'd say, shh, shh, shh. Uh, so I, I hope my voice will last here tonight as we look at Ecclesiastes. If not, we'll preach until my voice gives out. That's what we'll do. Uh, so Ecclesiastes chapter 7, and we're about halfway through this study, and I hope you've enjoyed it. I have. Uh, uh, there's some hard passages. I think tonight is the hardest passage that we've studied so far. Uh, they say that this passage here tonight, and I've seen this firsthand, that most pastors skip it. Um, and I study a lot of commentaries. I, I, I listen to a lot of sermons. And as, as pastors go through Ecclesiastes, a majority of them will skip this passage and go straight into chapter 8. That's how hard this is. It's not easy. Uh, this passage right here, if you don't skip it, it'll make you uh, sweat and pace uh, up and down the halls of the church trying to figure it out, which is what I did this week. I, I spent a whole day studying these verses. And uh, it was hard. I was sweating. I was pacing. I was praying, trying to figure out what this is saying to us. And I, I think God has showed me something in this passage that is very, very helpful to every single one of us. I think we're going to see here tonight that Solomon is going to show us uh, life in the real world. I've actually titled the sermon, Welcome to the Real World, because that's what he's going to show us. He gives us a very realistic, I'll even say a shocking view of what the world looks like. He's been in the world, he's seen it, he's been there, he's done it, and now he wants to describe it to us, what life in the real world is like. Not life in a fantasy world. I think there are a lot of people today that's living in a fantasy world. They go out and they think that everything's going to be given to them, and everything's going to be great, and everything's flowers, and everything smells good, and everything's going to work out. Psalmist says that ain't how it works. This is life in the real world. So I want to show you that tonight. I want to show you, again, the title of the sermon is... Uh, welcome to the real world. And if you're here and you're older, I think you'll say, yeah, I've already seen that. I've lived that. I know that. If you're here and you're younger, you're going to get a, a shocking view of what the world's going to be like when you go out into it. I think this is something for high school kids. I think this is something for college kids. I think this is something for my kids that are here tonight. Uh, the world is, is outside these walls and outside our home is crazy. And Solomon's going to show us that tonight. So let's stand together. I'm going to read you a few verses. I want to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. I want to read Ecclesiastes chapter 7. I'm not going to read the entire passage. We're going to go verses 13 to 29. I'll just read verses 13 to 18 to get us a running start here tonight. And I think you'll see what, what Solomon's saying. He says here, verse 13, Consider the work of God. For who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? So you see there in the very outset, he's calling the world crooked. It's bent. It's fallen. Verse 14. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider. God also has set the one over against the other, to the end that man should find nothing after him. All things have I seen in the days of my vanity. There is a just man that perisheth in his righteousness. And there is a wicked man that prolongeth his life in wickedness. Be not Overly or righteous overmuch, neither make thyself overwise. Why shouldest thou destroy thyself? Be not overmuch wicked, neither be thou foolish. Why shouldest thou die before your time? 
It is good that thou shouldest take hold of this, yea, also from this, withdraw not thine hand, for he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. And we're going to look at the other verses. I just don't want to read that just yet. But I want to show you welcome to the real world. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for a realistic view of the world. That your word tells it how it is. It pulls no punches. It doesn't beat around the bush. Solomon shows us here exactly what the world is going to be like. It was like that then. It was, it's been like that throughout history. It's like that today. And it'll be like that in the future. This is the real world. And we need to face that reality. And not try to live in some fantasy world. I think this is where a lot of disappointment comes. I think this is where a lot of worry comes. Because people don't know what the real world is like. So help us, God, tonight, me included, to understand the real world. And we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. I remember on the night that I graduated high school that I, I came home and I was going to go for my graduation when I had my robe on, uh, you know, the hat. It, it was, you know, just a, uh, for most people, it's one of the great nights of their life. And, and you, you're so excited, you're, you're transitioning from high school into work or high school into a, a job. You're transitioning from high school into the, to the world, a place where you've been sheltered, into a place where you're going out on your own. And, and for most people, you're really excited about that because you get to, to branch out on your own. And, and I, I came home that night and, and I remember, Dad may not remember this, but Dad looked at me and he told me, congratulations, it's a big accomplishment. And then he looked at me and he said, son, welcome to the real world. And I didn't know what he meant then, but I think I know exactly what he meant now as I look back on it. I know that he, he was saying, this is what he was saying. Dad, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is what he was saying. Son, it's been easy for you so far. You've been living under mom and dad's roof. You've been living in what he would call and what I would call a fantasy world. You've been living in a, a world with no responsibilities, no bills, no planning, no worries, Life has been good. Life has been easy. All you've had to do is play video games, take naps, and eat your mother's dinners. And that's exactly what it was, and I miss it so much. <laughs> and Dad looked at me and said, Son, welcome to the real world. And what he meant by that is now reality hits, and it's going to hit you real fast. And now it's no longer going to be a life of no responsibilities. And so we, I don't want to get into this, but we have a lot of kids today that they, they go into the real world and mom and dad don't let them go into the real world. They don't make them have responsibilities. So you go from having no responsibilities, no planning, no bills, no worries, playing video games, taking naps, and eating mom's dinners to a world of leaky faucets. Now I'm, and, and I'm telling you these things because these are the things that I faced real early on in the real world. Leaky faucet in the real world, I have to fix Leaky faucet at home, dad fixes. I didn't even think about leaky faucets when I was in high school. Real world has monthly bills, flat tires, back pain. The real, real world has sicknesses, miscarriages, broken dreams, worries, racism, inequality, sin, and death. Son, welcome to the real world. That's what you're going to face. That's the, the ugly truth. And that's what, exactly what Solomon's trying to show us here in Ecclesiastes 7. I tell my kids now, I, I, I like to keep them a little bit innocent. 
so that they're living in my house and they're playing my video games and they're taking naps and they're sleeping till noon and they're eating their mother's dinners and, and they're happy and they start thinking about, oh, I can't wait to get out of the house. Welcome to the real world. This is what's coming. This is what you're going to see. And that's what Solomon's going to show us here. Solomon says he's seen it all. Look in verse 15. He says, all things have I seen. I've seen everything. I've lived it. I've been there. I've done that. He's examined life under the sun. And what has he found? Verse 13, he's found that it's a crooked world. That it's a broken world. A bent world. So broken, so bent, so fallen that there's nothing we can do to fix it. There's no social justice movement or politician who could ever fix what has been broken in this world. There's no politician who can take this crooked world and make it straight. There's no politician or, or social justice movement that they can protest and they can write to fix this broken world. We can't fix it. All we can do, and I want you to get this, we can't fix it. All we can do is face it and understand it and hope that we can live in it. And that's what Solomon's going to give us, a biblical view of the world that we live in. A realistic view. Uh, and I, I think this is a shocking view. I think as we study this. That some of you may say. Wow I can't believe that. And he's telling us uh, in such bold language. What the world is like. But I think it will greatly help us. To know what the fallen world is like. What it's like to live in the real world. So again the title of the sermon is. Welcome to the real world. And I'm going to give you four points. As we work our way through this. And I'm going to start with number one, and we've already read it, but I want to show you number one. The real world doesn't make sense. The real world doesn't make sense. And every one of these points is going to have a problem and then a solution. So I'm going to show you the problem with the real world, and then I'm going to show you the solution for the real world. So let's look at it. Verse, first of all, look at verse 15. He says, All things have I seen in the days of my vanity. There is a just man... Which means a righteous man. A good man. And what happens to the good man? He dies in his righteousness. And then he says here, look, look at the next thing. And then there's a wicked man. Evil man. Sinful man. And he lives a long life in his wickedness. Now you, you look at that. A good man who dies young. A wicked man who lives a long life. That doesn't make sense, does it? Because that's not how we see things. We think, here's how we think, right? Just, just tell me if I'm wrong because this is how I think. If we live right, do good, honor God, walk justly, then we ought to live a long life. But on the other hand, if somebody does bad, does, uh, lives wrong and doesn't honor God, they ought to die young. That's, only, that's, that's how it ought to work. You do good, you live long, and you prosper. You do bad, you die young. But we all know that that's not how the real world works. The old saying says the good die young. Solomon knows that. This is not how life works. It, it, that's how it should go. That's, that's, that's called karma. That if you do good, it, good will happen to you. That's called prosperity theology. That if you do good, good things happen to you. But if that's what you're teaching your kids, if that's what you're telling your teenagers, then they're going to go out in the world and they're going to be very disappointed. Because that's not how life works. The real world doesn't make sense. 
And you say, is that true? I mean, just, just watch. I mean, let me show you a couple things here. First of all, there's a missionary. Don't you think that, that a missionary who's given his life to serve an unreached people group, never heard of the name of Jesus, and as he's on his boat getting ready to go meet them, he steps out of the boat onto the island and they kill him with spears. Doesn't seem right, does it? It doesn't make sense. What about Cain and Abel? Abel did what was right. What happened to him? He died. Cain did what was wrong. And Cain, had he got married and had kids and lived a long life. That doesn't make sense. Job was called a righteous man. Had ten kids, a wife, and all, all that he could ever want. And like that, it was all gone. Everything was taken away from him except his wife. And he probably didn't, would have preferred if she would have got taken away. How about Jesus? The most righteous man who ever lived. And the wisest man who ever lived. And he died at 33 years old. That just doesn't seem to make sense, does it? But that's how the world works. It just doesn't make sense. Mark Twain wrote a story one time about a man. A young boy, he said. I don't know if you guys have ever read Mark Twain. But he said this young boy... Climbed an apple tree to steal an apple off his neighbor. And he said, I was amazed that he didn't fall and break his arm. He said, then that same boy went fishing on Sunday. Got on a boat and he didn't get a hole in the boat and sink and drowned. He actually caught some fish. And then he goes on to say that same young man grew up to be the most wicked man in town. And he became wealthy and was voted into the legislator. He said, it just didn't make sense. Because life doesn't make sense in the real world. That's life. It doesn't make sense. So what do we do? Let me give you the solution to this. Watch. I, I think this is, this is so wonderful. Because he says in verse 13, consider it. Think about that. And understand that life isn't about karma. If you do good, good doesn't always happen to you. It's not prosperity theology. If you're just good enough, God will bless you. No, he says, everything, good and bad, comes from God. Look what it says. In the day, verse 14, of your prosperity, when you have good, enjoy it. It comes from God. And the day of adversity, consider God also has set the one over against the other. To that end, that man should find nothing after him. So he says, in life... Don't think that if you're good, the good will happen to you. And if you're bad, the bad will happen to you. Instead, when the good comes, get this, this is so good. We don't determine it. It's not in our hands. We don't control the outcomes of life. God does. So in the day of our prosperity, when life goes well, it's not because we earned it. It's because God's been good to us. We don't believe in karma. We believe in grace. And every good thing that happens to us is because God's been good to us. And every bad thing that happens to us isn't because we've been bad. It's because God is working some plan out in some way, in some form, some fashion that we can't even see. So in the good things, we enjoy it. In the bad things, we trust God. We don't control it. It's a good lesson for us. The real world just doesn't make sense. But you enjoy the good and you trust God in the bad because God's working in both. So there's the first point. The real world doesn't make sense. And here's 
The second one, the real world has extreme sides. This is the hard part of the passage. It says in verse 16, watch this. They say this is the hardest verse in all of Ecclesiastes. And I'm going to read it to you in my, my, the way I'm translating it. Verse 16. Don't be overly righteous. That's what it says. Don't be overly righteous and neither make yourself too wise. Because that will destroy you. And then in verse 17, so he says that. Don't be too righteous. And then verse 17 he says, don't be too wicked. That's the other extreme. Don't be too righteous and don't be too extreme. Because if you do that, look what it says. Don't, don't, don't be overly wicked and overly foolish because you'll die before your time. So you'll see as you go out into the world that there's always extremes. And he gives you an example of don't be overly righteous. He's not saying don't be righteous. He's saying don't be overly righteous. Don't be, and I'm going to give you a few of them here in just a second, because Jesus was perfectly righteous. The Pharisees were overly righteous. They added rules. Their religion was not God's. They, they had added to what God required. They had extra obedience. They created their own religion of their own rules. So they went, and Jesus stayed on to them over it. They were overly righteous. Charles Spurgeon said, there's 10 commandments. Don't give me 11, 12, or 13. I have a hard enough time keeping 10. But you know people like that? That the church, and this is the overly righteous extreme, has created so many rules over the years. And they've added on burden after burden after burden onto people with overly righteous rules. And those overly righteous rules will destroy you. You say, how will it destroy us? I think overly righteous rules has run more young people out of church than anything else in the world. Putting things on our kids or on teenagers that's not of the Bible is just putting weight on them that they can't keep. It's hard enough to do 10. Don't give me 11, 12, and 13. So don't be overly righteous. One commentator said it this way. Don't be the nice Christian, the sanctimonious Christian, the pursed lips Christian, the insufferable Christian, the stickler Christian, the prudish Christian, the doctrinally sound Christian, the know-it-all Christian, the orthodox Christian, the quiet time every single day or I'm going to go to hell Christian, the un-Christian Christian. Don't go to that extreme. And we see it everywhere. It'll wear you out trying to be that extra righteous. Jesus was perfectly righteous. And I want to give you that. Don't be overly righteous. And then he goes on to say, don't be overly wicked. It says in verse 17. And these are, these are so extreme. But get this. Being extra righteous and being overly wicked are both sinful. Equally sinful. So the one on the far end wicked in wickedness is just as bad as one who is overly righteous like the Pharisees. You don't want to be either one of those. If you're overly wicked, it says, you'll die before your time. I mean, you know that. It's obvious. 
Those people who live with no rules at all. Did you see that? Solomon's so wise. The ones who have too many rules, adding rules on to God's rules, and those who say, I have no boundaries. I do whatever I want to do. They live it up. They have fun. You only live once. Those people will destroy themselves. How do they do it? Watch rock stars. Just just name somebody. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and they die an early death. No rules, just living it up. Don't be that. Get this. Luke 15, you had one son who left his father and went and lived in the pigsty. No rules. You had one who stayed home and followed all the rules even more so. There's always those two extremes. And what do we need to do? Watch this. I I love this. Verse 18. Here's what's good. And you know this. Get this. I I teach young men who are, are, are going into ministry. I teach young men who are going to get married that there's a, a balance that we must have in life. And he gives us this balance. Watch this. It's good that you get a hold of this. Don't fall into either side. But that you find a balance in the middle where you're like Jesus. Who wasn't over-righteous. And who didn't go the way of the wicked. But he stayed right in the middle in a perfect balance Walking the narrow way. I think there's a balance to be had in so many things in life. And it's hard to walk that balance, but here's how you do it. Don't withdraw your hand from it, he says in verse 18. He that feareth God shall come forth of them all. The key to keeping the balance is a fear of God. A fear of God that won't live in lawlessness and break the rules. And a fear of God that won't add anything to God's rules will put you in a balance. If you respect and honor God, if you depend on Him, if you walk in the fear of God, you won't add to it and you won't break it. You'll have a perfect balance in life. The fear of God will direct us through the maze of life. The fear of God will keep us balanced in life, will keep us in the narrow way. It's rare to find someone who walks that fine line, but it starts with the fear of God. Get this, and I'll move on. There are churches who have a hard time walking this line. I've been in churches, and some of you guys have been in a lot of churches. Some churches tend to be, you know this, very, very harsh and hard and rule-keeping. And they think that one of the Ten Commandments is keeping the thermostat on 72. And if you move it, you're going to hell. I mean, I've been in churches like that. Have you, I mean, you, maybe you guys aren't giving me anything back tonight, but maybe you haven't. But you know that, the, that there's overly rule-keeping churches who will tell you, no dancing. That's commandment number 12. It was on the back in small writing on the, on, the, on the tablets. You better not dance. I had somebody here tell me years ago. I've told you this, guys this. Come into church on Sunday and said, I saw you at the movies the other day. I said, you were there. 
You saw me. But the rule wasn't they couldn't go. The rule was a pastor shouldn't go. And I, you know, I was young and dumb. And I said, and this is what I said. Show me where it says that. There is a tendency in churches to go overly extreme and add rules that aren't in God's book. And there's churches like that all over the place. We don't want to go beyond what God says. We don't want to add demands that God hasn't demanded. But there's also churches who go too far the other way. And they're loose. And you can live however you want to live and do whatever you want to do. It's okay. It's just live it up. God is gracious. He'll forgive. Go out and live like hell. We all love you. And they go too far this way. You, maybe you've not been in one of those, but they're becoming more and more popular in America. I want to go to one of those that doesn't make me feel bad when I come. So you're like Goldilocks looking for the, the one that's just right. And how do you balance that in a church? I figured it out. A church that fears God will keep a balance where I won't put rules on anybody, but I won't let them live loose. And how do you maintain that? I think it's by preaching verse by verse through the Bible and letting God maintain that balance. So that when you come to a passage that's hard, you preach it. You come to a passage that's gracious, you preach it. And by that, we walk a narrow way. I think you can parent in extremes. I'm too hard on my kids. Or I'm too loose on my kids. But all oh, that middle one's just right. The Goldilocks method, right? Not too hot, not too cold. Oh, this one's just right. Not to uh, a bed that's too hard or a bed that's too soft. I've got kids. I've read these things. But one that's just right. So you need to understand that. In life, there's always going to be extreme sides to everything. I think it's that way in politics. We now have in politics the extreme right and the extreme left. And there's not too many people in the middle anymore. Are you with me? And now you have the extreme left and the extreme right fighting each other and bringing our nation to, to its knees. We need to stay away from extremes and follow the fear of God in balance. I, tell, I teach theology to our, to our young men. I'm going to say one more thing about this and then I'll, I'll move on. But you talk about, and we, we, we talk about it here, that there's two sides in salvation. There's that God is perfectly sovereign. And he elects and he chooses and he predestines. And we believe that, that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. We believe that. But we also believe that man is responsible. And there's a balance to be had between those two things. We believe, and, and there's religions that mess these things up, that Jesus is truly man and that Jesus is truly God. And if you go too far on either one, it becomes heresy. There's a balance to be had. Yeah. I want to move on 
I know you guys, it's just, it's just good, sound teaching to know that there's extreme sides and we got to find a balance and the key is the fear of God. Yeah. Number three, and I'll, I'll, we'll move on. My, my voice is hanging on so far. So we've seen that the real world doesn't make sense. The real world has extreme sides. Number three, the, the real world is full of sinners. <laughs> it says in verse 19, Wisdom strengtheneth the wise more than ten mighty men which are in the city. So he says here that wisdom is good. It'll make you strong. Having wisdom will help you live life. It's, it's a good thing. It'll guard your mind. It'll direct your way. But wisdom can't do one thing. Look what it says in verse 20. It can't stop you from sinning. For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. I think some people would add to verse 20 and, and, and they'd say, there's not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not, except me. <laughs> but he says there, there's not one just man anywhere on the earth that does good and doesn't sin. So he shows us a problem. Wisdom can't fix our sin nature. That as we go out in the world, you're going to find the world is full of sin. And the world is full of sinners. Everyone is in on it. It's like a big game of Clue. Y'all ever played the game of Clue? As they put those, those cards in the middle and you spend your whole game saying, who did it, with what, in what room? I've got kids, I do these things. And you're trying to figure out who's a sinner, how did he sin, and where did he sin? Or her. Solomon here says that at the end of the game, after he's seen it all, everybody's in on it. Everybody's a sinner. Everybody does wrong. There's not one in the world that hasn't sinned. Paul would quote this in Romans 3 when he says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So as you go out into the world, you need to know that there's not anybody that's righteous. There's not anybody that does good. There's not, we live in a world full of sinners. The wise are sinners. The godly will act ungodly. I don't know if you understand that. Don't be surprised when sinners sin. Don't put anybody on a pedestal because they're just going to fall and disappoint you. Everybody sins. Don't be surprised by it. Don't be shocked by it. I think if you understand this, you'll help you, it'll help you live life. Everybody's a sinner. I tell you, I've heard so much sin in my office <laughs> that I, I say this, and I'm going to be very careful when I say this. I've heard so much that I don't think anybody coming to my office to admit anything would surprise me anymore. Used to, yeah. I'd hear things and say, <gasps> try not to do that in front of them. Just try to hold it in. And then when they leave, I'm like, oh my goodness, what did I just hear? But now after you've lived life long enough, and you've seen enough, and you've heard enough, nothing surprises you. Rabbi Zacharias, that didn't surprise me. He said, Josh, who's that? He's a famous apologist, Christian apologist, who died a couple years ago, and just in a few weeks ago it came out that he was cheating on his wife with hundreds of women. This guy was famous, made money. I mean, just flew around the world. Looked up to Tim Tebow was at his funeral. Billy Graham spoke highly of this guy. I mean, just to put him on a pedestal like he was the greatest thing in the world. And when it come out that he was a, an adulterer, 
It broke my heart and it should, but it didn't surprise me. Sinner's sin. When Jerry Falwell Jr., when all of his sin came out into the public just a few months ago, it broke my heart, but it didn't surprise me. Why? Because sinner's sin. We're living in a sin, sinful world. If I sin, you shouldn't say, oh, Josh sins? Sinner's sin. And when you understand that as you go out, sinner's sin, get this. I'm going to say this because I know I've, I've, we've got people who've worked in prisons. The prison, prisoners that you work with, you know who they are and what they're capable of. They're sinners. It doesn't surprise you when they do bad things. They're there for doing bad things. But it surprises you when somebody you know does a bad thing. We're all sinners. And it shouldn't surprise you when anybody sins. That's what he's saying here. We're all sinners. So it shouldn't shock us. Why? Watch this. So, so what do we do? Watch. I think this is good. That's the problem. We're all sinners. Here's the solution. Verse 21. So take no heed unto all the words that are spoken, lest you hear your servant talking about you behind your back. That's what verse 21 says. Don't be surprised by this either. That if, if I happen to eavesdrop on somebody talking about me, that I just come up on a conversation and there's a little group of people in the church and they're sitting there saying, boy, I can't stand that Josh. He preaches too long, he's mean, he's hateful, he's hard to get along with, he looks good all the time. (laughs) You hear somebody talking about you, he says. Don't be surprised by it. When you hear somebody talking about you, your first reaction is, how dare you? Let me tell you about you. But he says here, don't do that. He's just giving a scenario. So don't get mad when somebody sins against you. Why? Verse 22. For oftentimes also your heart knows that you've done the same thing. You've cursed people just like, like they did. And again, this is just an example. He's saying, don't get mad when people sin. Don't, don't, don't get frustrated when people sin. Don't, don't, don't fight back when people sin against you. Because you've probably done the exact same thing. Understand that. Remember that time you did the exact same thing? We're all sinners. And if we understand that, then we live in a world full of sinners that includes me, then we won't be surprised when people sin. We won't be judgmental when people sin. Because I've done the same thing, or I'm capable of doing the same thing. And we'll handle it in a very humble way. So there's the third point. There's a lot of prideful people out there who judge people when they sin like they've never sinned. How dare you talk about me? I ain't never talked about anybody in my entire life. Never gossiped, never slandered, never backbited, never done anything. How dare you do that? I'm better than you are. He says, no, 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 no. You've either done it or you're capable of doing it. So don't you dare judge somebody for sinning when you're just like they are. You won't be nearly as hurt in the world if you understand that it's a world full of sinners. I think it would bring down some of the heat in our nation if we wasn't so surprised by everybody else's sin. Do you mean there's people who are prejudiced out there? 
Yeah, it's a sinful world. You mean our politicians can't be believed? (laughs) Yeah, it's a sinful world. You mean people cheat? It's a sinful world. You mean there's divorce? It's a sinful world. You mean there's bullies? It's a sinful world. You mean they cuss? It's a sinful world. That's the world we're living in. Don't be surprised when sinners sin. Last point, and I'll close. My voice is is holding on by a thread. (laughs) Steph tried to make me drink tea today. (laughs) She She said, I can warm up you some tea. I said, if you spell tea, coffee, I'll do it. (laughs) (laughs) C-O-F-F-E-E. She said, it'll make you feel better. I said, no, coffee will. She's in the nursery. She's not listening. (laughs) I said, your tea. I'm not drinking that. Number four. (laughs) Number four, the, the, the real world we've seen doesn't make sense, has extreme sides, is full of sinners, and is foolishly stupid. That's what it says. I'm I'm going to read it to you. He says in verse 23, All this have I proved by wisdom. I've seen it all by wisdom. I said I'll be wise, but it was far from me. That was just far off and exceeding deep. Who can find it? Verse 25, I applied my heart to know and to search and to seek out wisdom and the reason of things. And to know the wickedness of folly, even the foolishness and madness. So he says there, I, I went out to, to find wisdom. Get this. I went out in the world to find wisdom. I, I went looking for anybody that was wise. And I found, he says this, his words, foolishness, folly, and madness. I went out to find wisdom, and all I found was stupidity. I think that may be the only amen I'll get tonight. The world is full of stupid people. There's a lot of stupidity in the world. And our kids would do well to understand that. I think in our culture today, it's, it's, it's more, and, and my kids aren't allowed to say the word stupid, I, I know. But it's becoming more stupid every single day. And he said, I went out to find wisdom, and all I could find was foolishness, folly, and madness. There's a lot of stupid people out there. You should say amen to that. And you say, that's mean. No, watch this. Look where he says the most stupid person in the world is. He points at himself. Watch this. Verse 26. He said, and I find more bitter than death is women. <laughs> That's what it says. I find more bitter than death. Women. (laughs) Women whose heart is snares and nets. And her hands are like bands, handcuffs. (laughs) Who so pleases God will escape from women. (laughs) But the sinner shall be taken by women. You say, what's he saying there? He's being mean about women. And I think he's showing us his own stupidity. He's showing us his own weakness. Solomon had a thousand women. 
married to a thousand women. We had 700 wives, I think, and, or 300 wives and 700 concubines. So we had a lot of women. So we know that his weakness was women. Women to him, he says here, women were a snare, a net, and handcuffs. That's what they were to him. That's how he, he described women. He said a smart man will escape from women, flee from women, like Joseph did Potiphar's wife. Then when she tried to get a hold of him, he let go of his coat and took off away from her. That's what a wise man would do. But a fool <laughs> is taken by her. Who's the fool in this? Solomon. Who's stupid in this scenario? Solomon is. Solomon says, my weakness was women. I couldn't get away from them. I couldn't give it up. They were my snare. They were my net. They were my bands. Solomon, every time he messed up and sinned with a woman, I believe he would say here, how could I be so stupid? And then he'd do it again. How could I be so stupid? Talking about himself. That was his weakness. Women. And you need to understand this in the real world. That we tend to be really, really stupid and to do stupid things. And whatever your weakness is, it may not be women. Of course, women are a, lot, a weakness to a lot of men. Let me tell you this. I, I think this is so profound. The strongest man who ever lived, Samson, what was his weakness? Women. So the strongest man in the world couldn't give up women. The godliest man who ever lived was David. And David couldn't beat women. The wisest man who ever lived was Solomon. And women was his weakness too. Wisest man, strongest man, godliest man. And women to them were a snare, a net, and a band. So that was their weakness. But whatever your weakness is, whatever you keep falling back into, and you look back at it and say, how can I be so foolish? How can I be so stupid? It's going to happen. Because that's, that's what we all are. We all fall for these things. Whatever our weakness is. He just couldn't overcome his weakness. And then he moves on from him and expands it to everybody. Look what he says. Verse 27. Behold, this have I found, saith the preacher, counting one by one, to find the, out the account. So now watch what he does. He says, I'm foolish. And I went out in the world to find wisdom. So I went around looking everywhere I could. One by one. To try to find somebody who was wise. And look what he, said, look what he finds. And I, I want to keep saying this. Somebody who's not mad. Somebody who's not stupid. And look what he says. I went out one by one looking. I'm not it. I keep falling for women. Women. Look what he says. Verse 28. And my soul seeketh, but I find not. One man out of a thousand have I found. <laughs> That's not good odds. He said, I counted out of a thousand men. Only one was wise. That's what you're going to go out into the world and see. I think his numbers are about right. One in a thousand is wise. That's, the, that's how the world is today. I don't know if this, I mean, I don't know if this is supposed to be accurate, but one out of a thousand. 
Everybody else is foolish. Everybody else is, is stupid. And that's men. Look how many women he found. <laughs> I mean, one over a thousand is not good odds. But it's better than the next one. And I have found. But a woman among all those. Have I not found one? <laughs> I couldn't find one wise woman. I think he's a little bit bitter about the thousand. He found one wise man and no wise women. He's mad about all the concubines and the wives that he had. And they were mean to him. And they're all foolish. So he said, I couldn't find but one man and no women that were wise. I looked everywhere and only found one. And that one wasn't even me. So if you want to apply this, the world is full of, Solomon would say, unwise, foolish, stupid people. And I think that explains a lot. I'm going to say that again. I think that explains a lot of what's going on in our world. It was that way then. It's been that way throughout history. And you better believe it is today. It's not getting better. We're not progressing. We're not getting smarter. We're getting more and more stupid. I think wisdom is harder to find today than it's ever been. So you need to understand that when you go out in the real world. Welcome to the real world. And whose fault is it? And I'll close. I'm really surprised my voice made it. Steph will probably make me drink tea tonight. Verse 29. And lo, this have I also found. That God made man upright. But we messed it up. Verse 29. God made man upright. That's what he says there. God, God made us good. God made us wise. Adam was uh, as wise as anybody who ever lived. Smart, brilliant, intelligent. Naming all those animals. God made Adam wise. God made Eve wise. But then man went their own way. And man fell and the scheming began. Sin entered the world and that explains exactly why this world is the way it is. Verse 29 explains why the world is foolishly stupid, full of sinners, has extreme sides, and doesn't make sense. God made us good. And we messed it up. And there's only one. God's not to blame. We're to blame. And that explains exactly why the world is the way. It wasn't supposed to be this way. The real world was supposed to be better than this. So I'm going to read to you a couple of verses out of Romans. Because I think, I think Paul got some of his thoughts in Romans out of Ecclesiastes. He says, and I just want to give you a couple of things here. Romans 5, verse 12. He says, wherefore, as by one man, sin entered the world. And then death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. That's the problem with the world. And notice this. I've given you in all, all the first three points, problem, solution, problem, solution, problem, solution. Here's the problem. 
The world doesn't make sense. Trust God. Problem is, is the, the, they're extremes, so we keep it balanced. The problem is sin, and so we, 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 don't, we, we recognize that, and we don't judge people in that, because we can do the same thing. So problem, solution, problem, solution, problem, solution. And then here we are with the stupidity of the world, and he doesn't give us a solution. There's no solution here. There's no, here's the answer. Here's how you deal with, with sin. It's, it's not here. And why is that? Because Solomon hadn't yet found the solution. The solution wouldn't come for a few more thousand years. The solution to all this is when Jesus came, a man full of wisdom and full of righteousness, who walked the narrow way, died a cruel death at 33 years. And why did he do it? He died in the place of the foolish, the sinful, and the stupid. Back to Romans 5, verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, or you could say Adam to, to Solomon, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who's a figure of him who was to come. But as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many may be dead, much more the grace of God and, by the, and, and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ hath abounded unto many. Not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more, than, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one many shall be made righteous. That's the solution. That's the answer to everything that Solomon found in the world. Solomon found it was, didn't make sense. There was extreme sides. It was full of sinners and it was foolishly stupid. But the answer to all that was one man, Jesus Christ. And if Jesus is the answer to all the foolishness and sin of the, of the real world. And in him we can say, and I'm going to close here. What John Newton, the, the author of Amazing Grace, said on his deathbed. Said his eyes were dim, but his mind wasn't working well, and they were trying to talk to him, and he, and he had one thing to say. He said, I remember one thing. I'm a great sinner, and Jesus is a great Savior. Yes. And I think that's what he's saying here. We're sinners, and Jesus is a great Savior. Amen. The problem, the solution. So Jesus came, as we live in this real world, to save us from the real world and take us to a new one. Where things will make sense. Where there won't be extreme sides. Where it won't be full of sinners and it won't be foolishly stupid. He came to save what we broke, to fix what we broke. Jesus is a great Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word here tonight. I thank you for letting my voice... Um, Finished two sermons today. Uh, I didn't know if I'd make it through tonight. 
but we have. And I thank you for that. And I pray, God, that this was good for us tonight. I think these are good principles for us to learn, to realize what the world is like. We can't fix it, but we can face it. And we can understand it. And I think if we do that, it'll help us to live in it. If we just grasp these four things, we'd live better in, in this world. So help us to do that, God. And thank you for the opportunity you've given us to meet tonight. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.